Welcome to Grace on Tap. Grace on Tap is a podcast dedicated to the history and the theology of the Lutheran Reformation, all over a nice cold beer. Looking forward to our discussion of the Third Commandment today. We're starting at paragraph 78 for those who are following along in their own editions. The Third Commandment is... uh, but the holy day, thou shalt sanctify the holy day. Or maybe you've learned it, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You know, I, I remember the first time, we're going to be going through Luther's writings in, in the large catechism, like we have been, uh, this leisurely stroll we've been taking. And I remember, I, I, I say it's the first time that I read it, but I'll tell you, I, I'm going to say probably first, second, third, and I don't know, I, uh, and what I always walk away with is is really pretty much paragraph 82. When you go through this pretty fast, at least like I have in the past, mm-hmm. you think you know what you're reading. And you sort of walk away with a summary. And paragraph 82 says, th- Luther says, This commandment, therefore, according to its gross sense, does not concern us Christians, for it is altogether an external matter like other ordinances of the Old Testament, which were attached to particular customs, persons, times, and places, and now have been made free through Christ. So I used to walk away every time. I I read this many times, and I would walk away with, ah, doesn't apply to me. I'm good. Let's move on to the fourth commandment. We're now free. (laughs) We're now free. In my own copy of the Large Catechism, Mike, I've underlined uh, pretty much that whole paragraph as well. Uh, when the translation we're using says according to its gross sense, um, another way to think of that is the outward sense, according to the outward appearance of things, uh, we don't have to worry about the particular customs, persons, times, or places of the Old Testament laws that have a ceremonial function. And so Luther is essentially telling us that everything about the ceremonial function of the law, we've been made free from. You know, and it's it's funny because... Like so much stuff in the Old Testament, uh, underneath that ceremony, there's real meaning. Mm-hmm. And, and that's sort of this time, going through this and taking my time and reading it and taking each, each word, each paragraph, each sentence, each word, and really thinking about it. I'm fine. I found that I was really wrong. Yeah, you know, when I to highlight that, my, to only walk away with that one paragraph. And so I'm glad to have this opportunity to go through this and really dive into it and, and talk about it a little bit more. Well, and he makes the point that the external observance of this commandment, it was really given for the Jews alone, that they would abstain from the toilsome work and rest so that both man and beast would recuperate and not, by, and not be weakened by the unremitting labor of seven-day work week. Uh, and so he looks at that kind of first use of the law as a, uh, a guard against uh, work that just doesn't stop. And, and so he, he looks at it from that external sense, uh, and he looks at it as a day of rest, but then he turns the discussion on what it means to sanctify a day, to make it holy. Um, that word holy day, or a holiday. We, um, in America, we talk about going on vacation, but in British English, they'll, they'll call it going on holiday. Yeah, I, I, I do a lot of business overseas, and I've I when I say vacation, you know, it's that's it's not. I mean, they're used to it because they're used to Americans talking. But you're right; they always say holiday, 
and and uh, you know you can see right there the holy day and and they still have a lot of vacation day holidays that are holy days that are you know oh we're going to celebrate saint stephen's day or something and so those holidays are times of of rest but for luther he wants to look at this commandment as something more than just um recuperating the body so you know it you know, i really really wish i i would have the first time i read through the large catechism that i had taken the time to, to really pick out uh, this, this sentence of where Luther says, uh, this, this concern for avoiding external was not the meaning, but as we shall hear, that they shall sanctify the holy day or day of rest. And where Luther says, you know, he says that, okay, that we have the gross meaning, it doesn't apply to us. But then he sort of, like you said, he sort of takes this sidebar, this this not a sidebar, but it takes another road. And he says, but really what this is about sanctifying the the holy day. And and I I completely missed that. I completely missed it. And so then he talks about two practical parts of the commandment. The physical, which we've been talking about, allowing for a day when common workers can rest. And then the spiritual part, allowing for a day when we can worship. A a day of worship could be any day. He, He moves it away from that notion of it has to be the Sunday to in fact seeing each day as a day when the word can sanctify us, when we can receive the word and find that day become a holy day. I actually, I think what Luther does on this explanation of the third commandment of remembering that that holy day of rest is he gives a redemption to every single day by saying if the word is in that day, it's a holy day. You know, I, I uh, the, and he, he goes on. And he, the one thing he does say is that when we practice that holy day, it is a communal day. You know, he talks about the community coming together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, the only reason for, for allocating as a community one day is to allow the entire community to come together and worship together. And that's something that, Again, I, I missed it the first time through this, and uh, and it's it really is he and he hammers on. I don't know how I missed it. Yes, because <laughs> you know? he doesn't he doesn't really go easy on that. You know, he's he really like boom boom boom. He's talking about the community coming together, and I I don't know. But I, what you were holding on to was pretty important in that explanation of how to read the Old Testament and its moral law, its ceremonial law. And finding everything that is uh, fulfilled in Christ, now the purpose of the law is different. You know, and that is one of the areas that, um, and maybe it was, uh, I, I, I hate to blame my Catholic upbringing, but, you know, I was raised Catholic. And at least it was in that early period, right after Vatican II, right? And the pre-Vatican world was more... I'll say more uh, ritualistic, more uh, works-based, at least what the common folks recognized. Post-Vatican, the Catholic Church certainly changed, and it, it started to sort of integrate a lot of it. And I was sort of in the, that first era uh, where there was still a lot of vestiges of, you know, well, you do what's right. It's, mm-hmm. It doesn't matter, you know, you have to make, it's action that really matters and all that kind of thing. And uh, And so... 
there was th- that and that did that did hit home with me when when Luther is saying, you know, okay, there is there are portions of the Old Testament law that don't that that don't apply anymore. That hit home with me and that was a, that was a powerful thing. And, and you're right, that was it's it's valuable. You know, but it, it it's taken me many years to sort of untangle, okay, and what is important? What mm-hmm. isn't important? How do we make that distinction? Well, yeah. this is something I'm finding in the dynamic of uh, Christian conversation right now about what moral expectations should we have of other Christians. And I, I've heard someone say, well, we're now free from the law. And, and they'll say that now we receive one another through the gospel and the law has no more demand on us. And I say, all right. I find that appealing. I like this idea of being free from the law, and I think the scriptures are really confident in saying that as well. But what are we free for? And I think that is where the conversation then quickly takes this big uh, fork in the road. And I just find myself uh, seeing some of my friends that I grew up with that I see on Facebook, and they're talking about how the law is is a burden and it needs to be discarded and we need to get rid of it and we need to see the gospel prevalent throughout the world. And I'm like, I love the gospel. I love the good news of Jesus. But what is the gospel redeeming us for? What are we rescued for? And, and you know, they're very much focusing on what are we rescued from and the, the tyranny of oppression and, and all this patriarchy. I mean, they, they know the victim language. They know the identity politics and how Jesus uh, is there for everyone that feels excluded. I'm like, all right, I got you, I got you. But what for? Right. And that is actually one of the things that has been very helpful to me is Luther's term, you know, we are free to serve our neighbors. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's what we're free. That's what, ha- you know, so, so as, as we are, the reason we are free. One of the things I've been thinking a lot about lately when we talk about the law is, the, the, the freedom to serve our neighbors and what gets in the way of serving our neighbors. And I think about the, the, the people who, uh, you know, um, I think in the last episode, maybe it was, where you talked about the, the people who, you know, cleanliness is next to godliness. Their, their home is absolutely perfect, but the neighbors are all living in poverty. Yes. You know, and, and so there's this, this where works righteousness gets in the way of serving the neighbor. You know, and we so we are free from the law. Absolutely, we we don't have to worry about works righteousness. But the reason we're free is so that we can we can we can we can serve our neighbor, so that we can we can care for one another in true love for for you know because we have all these great promises from God. We don't even have to be constrained by the physical world. We don't have to be constrained by our desire for money or power or any of that kind of stuff because we have these great promises from God that. Well, we've got more than that waiting for us just on the other side. And so it's this, we have everything we need. So now we're, we're free to serve the neighbor. So that freedom from is secured in Christ. And then that freedom for is nurtured in the word. And that's then where Luther talk, starts to talk about the value of the third commandment. He'll say that uh, this then is the simple meaning of the commandment because we observe how Holidays anyway, we should use them to learn God's word. The real business of this day should be preaching for the benefit of people and for the common folk. However, the observance of rest should not be so restrictive as to forbid incidental and unavoidable work. So he, he's talking about how this day should be a day that is focused on learning God's word, nurturing 
our hearts and our, our lives from the word so then we're equipped to do what we're called to do. And it's one of the things as we think about our ability to, to love our neighbor, our, our love for neighbor really grows out of God's word mm-hmm. and our confidence in God's word. And we have to go back and re, re-immerse ourselves in God's word. And to do that once a week is barely enough. And, and, and as a community, it's, you know, it's, it's important to be there with the community and we'll get into the community part of all this, but I think that's a good point how you make about that. It's not just you in the word, it's you in the word with others. So that as you hear the word, you're immediately seeing who the word is for. It's for yourself, but you also see it's for them. And and in that becomes this image of how the word is for the world. Uh, we're getting to the, a good spot, I think, for a beer break. Sounds good. And so today we've got um, a beer. And it is called the Horny Monk. It's a Belgian-style ale by Petoskey Brewing Company. It's uh, alcohol by volume 6.9%. Uh, brewed with pure Michigan artesian spring water. Uh out there in Petoskey. One, one, uh, with all this discussion about the law, and uh, Horny Monk is, is, an, is an excellent choice. Yeah. I, I was thinking we would hold this off till, oh, I don't know. Like Valentine's Day, maybe? <laughs> yeah, I was thinking. <laughs> on adultery, a discussion on adultery, we would do oh, it. Oh, that would have been a good beer for that discussion. <laughs> in, in June is often a celebration of marriage in Germany. Oh, okay. Uh, because would... of the anniversary of Marty. And Katie's birthday, Martin Luther and, and Catherine von Bora. Oh, okay. And so there we've got Martin Luther, kind of a horny monk, um, but in a very <laughs> well, honorable Christian fashion. Of. Yeah, that he is. was accused of. So what do we know about the Petoskey Brewing Company? Well, this is a really, they, uh, a really sort of cool uh, brewery. Uh, they're based in Petoskey, Michigan. Um, and and they're, they're in this old building that goes back to, what was it, 18... 1898. 1898. And they were in business as a brewery until 1950. And then the business, then the building was used for a bunch of other things. But they kicked it back to being a, a brewery in, uh, in 2012. And this building was, is actually designed for, for making beer. And it's it's really so. It's got some great temperature control in it by the fact that uh, how thick are the walls? Twenty six inches thick of solid red brick. So some great temperature control in there. Um, And you know, I jokingly talked about it being made with uh, pure Michigan artesian spring water. But the the well for this water, this artesian well, is right on their property. So they have a pure supply of water for the brewing process right on their property. So this this particular beer is a Belgian double, uh, and, and you know I, I was doing a little bit. It's what they have to say about it is a deep reddish, which is certainly is reddish, um, and complex style ale. Six different types of malted barley, Belgian candied syrup, and Belgian yeast are combined to produce a very smooth, complex, and slightly sweet ale. It, it's, it's got a little bit of candy taste to it. It does. It does. This is. I was reading up on, um, uh, on online what, what they had to say about it. And they said, yeah, this is, this is right there with Newcastle. It's, it's you know, very high-quality Belgian ale. And I agree. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. I, I, I think uh, anybody who listens to this, it's hard to find, for me to find a beer I don't like. But that's... <laughs> that's become a, a common comment I hear uh, from people. They, they even uh, want us to feature a beer that we purposely don't like. So I have a... A friend who's who's bought me a couple of beers. He said, "Test these out." And he <laughs> he said it with a certain smile. You know, 
I don't know if I ever told you. Back when I brewed beer, I brewed a beer, a uh, a really experimental beer, and I I just wanted to try something off the wall. I went out and I was I was cutting. Uh, cutting branches off of pine trees and putting those in there. I was doing all sorts of crazy stuff. I hated that beer. (laughs) But it's because you knew what had gone into it and all you had tried to do to make it great. Maybe if someone else had made it, you'd be like, yeah, it's it's an okay beer. (laughs) Maybe I would. (laughs) Well, so we are enjoying this horny monk uh, today, the Belgian double uh, by Petoskey Brewing Company. We hope you did too. Uh, Post. So, uh, going back to Luther uh, and his uh, typical question and answer format uh, in paragraph 88, he asked the question, uh, well, I guess let's take a step back. The last thing we talked about was the sanctification. And Luther, Luther says, According, accordingly, when asked what is meant by the commandment, thou shalt sanctify the holy day. And he says, uh, then he picks it up and he says, uh, how does that sanctification take place? He says, not in this manner with uh, that with folded hands, we sit behind the stove and do no rough, rough or external work or deck ourselves with a wreath and put on our best clothes. But as has been said, that we occupy ourselves with God's word and exercise ourselves therein. So it isn't the lack of work that makes the day holy as a day of rest. It is the attention to God's word, the confidence that our rest, our spiritual rest, is finally found in Christ being our Sabbath. And Luther makes the point. He says, for indeed, non-Christians can also cease from work and be idle. But that doesn't make the day holy just because they stopped working. And so any day is sanctified and holy when we turn our attention to God's word. Now, Luther says that we do need to keep this commandment if we approach the holy day properly. So he says, he says, God insists upon a strict observance of this commandment and will punish all who despise his word and are not willing to hear or learn from it, especially at the time appointed for the purpose. So he lists three or four groups, depending on how you want to break them up, who will desecrate the holy day, who by their actions are working contrary to the rest that's found in God's word. And that first group is those who would use the day as an opportunity for greed or frivolity. The second one is to lie in taverns and are dead drunk like swine. So I don't think he's like just suspicious of everyone who's in a tavern because he himself would visit taverns. Sure, sure. But the ones who are in the taverns dead drunk like swine. I'm guessing that this is sort of a subgroup of the frivolity crowd. Maybe when the people have gone past the frivolity to when they can't be frivolous anymore. (laughs) They're just drunk, dead drunk like swine. Just dead drunk. Uh, The next one is listen to God's word as to any other trifle and only from custom come to preaching and go away again. At the end of the year, know as little of it as at the beginning. That That is a... Yeah, that, that he's was, concerned with the people who are going through the experience of the worship service as just a ritual event that has benefit by the work itself, uh, and not by the faith that receives the benefit. You know, and, and uh, I'm going to go the, the the last one he has here is uh, those people who, when they have heard a sermon or two, find it tedious and dull, thinking that they know all that well enough and need no more instruction. You know, and I, I'm going to uh, th- this is. 
okay, maybe not dead drunk like a swine, but uh, I have pretty much, you know, all of these I've been guilty of. Yeah, you know, with the, with the exception of dead drunk, yeah. that's why I'm on a Sunday morning. <laughs> well, you know, throughout this commandment, he does a, an interesting kind of bounce between who the commandments for. The commandments for those who need to hear God's word. He even says it's not for the intelligent and well informed Christians, for they have no need of them. We observe them first because our bodies need them. We observe it because our spirit needs it. But he says those who know everything don't need this commandment. And there is this kind of rhetoric where he makes it sound like that we are observing this commandment as a benefit to the, the little people, the peasants. But even in doing that, he starts to describe himself in the we and the are, and the we are the ones who observe it, I observe it. And so he doesn't place himself as the well-informed Christian. He doesn't place himself as the intelligent Christian in the way he uses his pronouns. That's somebody else. He is the one who needs it. And now, as someone who's reading Martin Luther, and you know, he's not just Martin Luther, he's Dr. Luther. He's the professor at Wittenberg. If he's not well-informed and intelligent enough to be able to disregard this commandment, then we certainly yeah. shouldn't disregard it. Yeah. So he, he does an interesting thing there, I think, by, by describing this commandment as unnecessary for those who know everything. But then the way he describes himself and he describes the people, you realize no one is actually that person who doesn't need it. Right, right. You know, it's one of those things that um, I, I think of right, Christ's teachings, right, where he says, that, you know, those who don't need a doctor don't, you know, I, I have come for the ones who need, need The ones help. who are sick, yes. Yeah. And, and so, you know, and Luther puts himself sort of in that same, that same boat with the rest of us, that, that he's sick and in need of Christ. And it's, you know, it's funny because um, this is what's like so much of the law. And Luther, Luther says that one of the, you know, the, was it the, the, the second use of the law, right? The, mm-hmm. the second use of the law where it's, it's the mirror that we look up against and say, yep, that's me. I'm, I, I'm falling short here. And, and this is, this is, this is right in that. It's easy to sort of think that, oh no, I'm, I'm, that's not me, but it, it is. And so to see how he placed himself in that last group, uh, in the final uh, couple paragraphs, he has this comment. He says, let me tell you this. Even though you know it perfectly and be already master in all things, still you are daily in the dominion of the devil, who ceases neither day nor night to steal unawares upon you, to kindle in your heart unbelief and wicked thoughts against the foregoing and all the commandments. Yeah. Finally, the reason to keep this commandment is even if you think you know it all, the devil is there. And the enemy is is giving you this pride. So read the word and and scrape away that pride and humbly find yourself before God. I can only speak from experience. I do a lot of international traveling where I'm I'm overseas and in areas where there are no Christian churches. You know, I mean, I find myself in portions of China where there's no English speaking Christian church nearby, and I'll go weeks without without worship, and I do feel my heart hardening over that period of time where I don't have that community to go back to. I don't get the bread and the wine. I don't, you know, and I, it, my mind goes to other things. I'm busy about work. I'm thinking about that. I'm thinking about this, um, and and it's it. I get away from the word, and uh, it really does take in those times. I have to really 
focus on God's word. I have to make it part of my, and that's the only way I get by. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it's so I, I and you find it working, and and yeah, I do. This is what Luther talks about when he says, on the other hand, such is the efficacy of the word, whenever it is seriously contemplated, heard, and used, that it is bound never to be without fruit, but always awakens new understanding, pleasure, and devoutness, and produces a pure heart and pure thoughts. Pure thoughts, for these words are not inoperative or dead, but creative living words. Luther has such confidence in the performative character of the word to perform and create in our lives the very things which it is speaking, that our our rest in the word, our recuperation in the word is not just that we have attended a service, but that that word has transformed us. Amen. Well, I think think that does it for today's today's episode. Yeah, so we've gotten through the third commandment. We enjoyed a beer. Uh, with the freedom of Christians, we have uh, found our rest in our conversation, uh, but also we have found the nurturing in the Word of God. We look forward to any comments you make on our website, uh, graceontap-podcast.com. Uh, make reviews on iTunes. Uh, share with other people that you're listening to this great podcast where they talk about beer and they, they talk about theology. Maybe uh, you would even host in your own small group Bible study or at some brewery around Michigan, and we'd, we'd have a live recording there. We'll, we'll see if that's possible down the road. Sounds great. Prost. Prost. Prost.